Hey, Ben, thank you so much for coming on. And um, I think we'll start a little bit real quick, uh, kind of telling everybody about yourself. So you don't jump right in here and kind of give somebody some background. Um, sure, sure. Um, and uh, happy to be here, Sage. I'm uh, really excited about this. I've got that uh, excited nervousness going on. <laughs> so uh, th- this should be really fun. This should be really fun. Um, uh, about me, I'm, you know, not... not uh, I'm basically a nobody, you know, to everybody. It's, it's not, I'm not, you know, I, I don't have any degrees of, in, in anything. I'm not, uh, you know, anybody of any importance. I don't know people in high places and things like that. I'm just a guy who sat down and looked at this and said, something is wrong. Um, you know, in the 70 plus years that we've been looking at, you know, the UFO mystery and all these, these life mysteries, um, in modern times, it seems that if we haven't figured it out by now, somebody's got some wrong information somewhere. Somebody has put the puzzle together um, with these presuppositions that somebody has interjected into the narrative that has just confused everybody. Um, so I kind of went into this with that that perspective. Um, but um, I, I live in uh, I live in Georgia mm-hmm. in the Bible Belt. Um, I was uh, born and raised Christian. Um, I had one of those families. You know, we were Christian, but we didn't necessarily go to church. Um, you know, we would go to church on Easter and Christmas and things like that. Um, later on in my life, um, uh, during high school, I, I did get into church again. Um, pretty pretty hardcore. Um, uh, read the Bible a lot. Um, I, I would probably wager that I probably read it a lot more than everybody else did because I was the one asking the questions that nobody else was asking. Right. Um, you know, cause I kept looking at, at some of the things that the preachers would say and I would look at it and I'd say, well, wait a minute, that's not what it says. It says it right here, but you know, there's, there's all these uh, different contradictions in the Bible and, and all the questions that a lot of people normally have in their head, but there's, there's nobody to ask these questions too. Um, so after I got out of church, uh, went to college, and uh, had a guy uh, in college. He was like, "Hey, there's this there's this uh, documentary out. Um, uh, which one was it? It was the uh, uh, Zeitgeist. That's it. Mm-hmm. The Zeitgeist documentary." He was like, "You got to watch this. This is pretty crazy." And uh, you know, back then I was kind of looking for stuff like that that would just kind of wake you up and make you start thinking. Right. Um, and after watching that, I had to literally start over from scratch and look at everything from a different viewpoint because it just from from everything that I had been taught growing up, um, you know, this stuff just kind of threw a threw a wrench in the the spoke, so to speak. Um, in my life. So I literally had to start over. I had, I went through a period of uh, disillusionment, um, which is common if you're, you're looking into stuff like this. Absolutely. Um, and, and just, like I said, went at it from a, a clean slate, thinking at it from a different perspective um, and looking at all the puzzle pieces and trying to figure out which puzzle pieces were, were real and which were, you know, which was something we just made up. You know, things like uh, UFOs, aliens, Bigfoot, um, astrology, all, all these different kind of woo subjects that, you know, are taboo, um, especially here in the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. Looking at them from a clean perspective, trying to figure out, are these real? 
what are the dangers? Um, you know, and that, that sort of thing. And that's really what started me on this, this trail of not only the technological trail, but the, the ancient history of mankind trail um, that is, that is uh, uh, very elusive in our modern day age. Um, but that's, that's pretty much where I got started. A little bit about who I am. I'm just interested in this stuff um, and just came at it from a different perspective. Yeah, and I, I kind of wanted to do this channel as a, as a point of entertainment and educational value, right? You know, neither of us are uh, PhD scientists that were taking this, but it starts, I think, ground level, right? And then you want to take it up and up and up the chain of command, per se, into the you know, academia to be, so that they can kind of jump out and say, well, that's interesting. Let me look into that, right? Because you always want to take it to the highest you possibly can for to, you know, give us our checks and balances, right? Oh, yeah. But oh, it's, yeah. it kind of starts with, you know, people like me and you and, and others kind of talking about this stuff because then it can kind of become mainstream and get out there and then others can start to look into it. So, and this is what I wanted to start here. And this is what, you know, I... I did the video and then next thing I know I got this long email like I mentioned in my other video from from Ben and he's like I'm interested put me in coach let's go and I'm like okay and then I reached out and you know we talked for hours I think the first time yeah I'd been following you for a while um in a lot of the stuff that you were talking about during COVID with regards to uh you know trucking and shipping mm -hmm. and all of that stuff and I'd been watching you for a little while and then I I just saw that video pop up in my YouTube and I was like huh didn't know he was interested in this kind of stuff. And yeah, I had reached out to a few other people before, but, um, you know, they, they're, they're well established. They probably got, you know, thousand emails a day and all right. of that good stuff. So, you know, just reaching out to you real quick like that. I thought, well, maybe this, maybe this is my chance. Yeah. And it was, and I'm like, yeah, <clears throat> I, I'm all about it. Cause for me, it's, um, it's, it's interesting to me. And like I said, I know that you're probably well more versed in that. And I am, but that's kind of good because then I can basically give you the whys, right? Or the who, what, where, when, how, whys um, from the information that you already have. And that's kind of what I wanted to do here. So we basically kind of sat down and we talked for a little bit. And you actually came up with an outline so that we have a, a pace to kind of go, which is nice. And I'll be putting the outline up here uh, so everybody can kind of see it. So we can, you know, kind of look at this stuff together. So... One of the things you where you wanted to star, start was the age of Scorpio. You want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I guess to begin with, would be it would be important to talk about how I came up with this timeline and what this timeline represents. Okay. Um, so what I've done is after watching a lot of Randall Carlson, um, if you haven't if you haven't looked at his stuff, definitely go look at his stuff. He is he's a really smart geologist. He's he's got a very open mind. He's looking at this stuff uh, from a very scientific uh, viewpoint, and uh, he was I, I I think I had heard him talking about uh, the. Um, what is it? The, the ice core samples from Greenland. And he pulls up on the screen the uh, uh, the chart that they made with all of these samples that they've gotten um, of the different ice ages and warm periods that we've had over the past 400,000 years. Um, so what I did was I took that chart um, and it's just a linear chart that shows, you know, from 400,000 um, years ago mm -hmm. up until, you know, today. And what I did is I superimposed that onto, um, you know, I basically stuck it in Excel 
um, and put a timeline next to it based on astrology, the astrological timeline. So the way that works is um, each sign of the zodiac is about 30 degrees, and each degree represents 72 years. So you have 72 years for each degree. Um, and if you add that up, you get about 2,160 years per age. Okay. Um, and then if you multiply that by 12, the 12 signs of the Zodiac, um, you get what I call a great year, which is 25,920. Um, and then if you take that, and wh what I was attempting to do is I was attempting to find basically how long does it take for us to go all the way around the Milky Way once. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you've got, you know, the, the different ages, the great year. Um, and I was looking for something I call the galactic year. And in doing so, and by the way, I haven't figured that out yet. But uh, in doing so, I ran across the Aztec calendar. And in the Aztec calendar, they have what are called uh, the, the different suns. There's, there's the first sun, the second sun, the third sun, the fourth sun, and the fifth sun. Mm -hmm. um, and if you've ever heard anybody say, you know, we're in the, the, the fifth sun cycle or the um, – what else do they call it? The, um, the, the – yeah, I can't remember what they call it, but I, I've got it listed here as the fifth sun. And that's what cycle of the sun we're in currently. Okay. And if you take this and superimpose it on what I have already, if you take all five years that they have, it makes up the uh, it makes up one whole basically from a glacial period to the next glacial period or, or I should say the, the deglacial period to the next deglacial period. It fits perfectly within this timeline. So what the Aztecs were saying is that each one of these sun cycles represents what the sun is doing during that period. So, for instance, the first sun, which mm -hmm. occurs right after a deglacial period, which means it's going back into an ice age. The first sun is uh, ruled by a god, which I cannot pronounce. Uh, <laughs> you can look up some of these names, okay. but they're just ridiculous. I can't, I can't, I, I can only pronounce uh, Quetzalcoatl, that's it. But okay. um, the first sun is is represented by a god. And if you look up these gods and what they mean, that tells you what the sun was doing. So in, in particular, the first sun, the sun dies. So what happens is something happens to the sun and it stops outputting as much energy as it is during a warm period. Okay. So that's when we get it start. Things start to cool down. Things start the, the glaciers start to come back. We start going into an ice age. Then it gets to the second the second sun. And under the second sun is Quetzalcoatl. And if you look at Quetzalcoatl as a god and what he represents, he represents hurricanes, storms. Um, uh, he's a new star that's, that's, that's brought onto the scene. So something, again, the sun goes through this transformation and causes these things to happen on Earth. So then we go through the third sun, the fourth sun, and the fifth sun is uh, the god of war in the Aztec myth. And this gives us um, our current environmental status. Which we, which is, so, okay. So just so I break this down real quick, hold the thought. Basically, these are what, like Lee talked about, um, waves that we go through. Each one of exactly. this is, is a wave, an up and a down, and then a medium, an up and a down, and a medium, correct? Exactly. And, exactly. And the one that we're in right now, we've gone through the dying of the sun, we've gone through storms, but event, the one that you 
feel that we're in right now is the god of war, which would mean that technically our ending would be by war. Um, not if, necessarily. I would say it. You know, the god of war maybe perhaps represents. Um, you know, fire would represent, you know, the heat that we're in right now because we're in a warming period. Mm -hmm. um, and it could be that the God of War also represents what may happen to the sun at the end of this cycle, um, which we're coming up to. Um, okay. And w with regards to the waveform, if we're talking about, you know, just a full sine wave pattern, uh, we look at the first sun as being, you know, when the sun dies and we start going into the ice age. What I found interesting was, is if you take, let's say, the beginning of the wave, which would start, let's say, at the galactic plane, mm -hmm. and then we move up, and then we come back down, and we hit the galactic plane once again, mm -hmm. then we go into the trough of the wave, and then we move back up, and we hit the galactic plane a third time. So we hit the galactic plane three times in that waveform. Okay, if, if you can imagine that. So it's up. Okay down up meet the middle again exactly Got exactly it. and if you superimpose a sine wave onto this ice core data um which i guess it, it, it would be a good thing to show that to the audience um yeah. you'll see that there's an actual pattern every time we hit that galactic plane something happens to the temperature you'll see that at the beginning the temperature drops and then once we hit the middle of that wave waveform that goes back into the galactic plane, we have another extreme temperature drop. And then once you hit the end of that wave, you see the temperature spike up. So that's like the three, you know, something happens in those three points when we hit the galactic plane and it's visible on this chart which I found that, that that was, I actually looked that up after we got through with our conversation because I was mm -hmm. like, you know, I never thought of it as a waveform. What if we put this on the chart and see what happens? And sure enough, there was a pattern there. Wow. And I thought that was really interesting. Wow, um, see, and you got that for me. I, I want to trade credit for that one. <laughs> exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I found that really interesting. Um, and what's... Uh, What's more about this, uh, this timeline that I've created, um, there's this thing called an epic year. And mm -hmm. the epic year is when you take all of these different, um, um, all of these different what I call uh, great years or the, the different cycles of the sun, um, and you put them together, all five of them, you get what I call an epic year. And that's basically an entire cycle from deglaciation to glaciation. And what you can do is take that epic year and uh, take a snapshot of that and move it down to the next or the, or the previous waveform before that. So, in other words, we're talking about like the Emian periods and, and some of the more, um, you know, prehistoric periods. And it matches up perfectly or near perfectly. There is, there is a, um, I, I want to say the further we go back in time with this data, the more the, uh, the information gets skewed. Um, okay. But it's very, very close. It's, it's close enough to see a pattern. Um, so they're, they're, we have these patterns, you know, every hundred and uh, what did I say, one hundred and twenty nine thousand years, which we go from a warm period to a cold period, and that's that's basically, you know, uh, that's something, you know, we're we're taught about, you know, all of this global warming scare stuff that they're, you know, trying to throw in our face, and it's something that occurs, you know, every hundred and twenty nine thousand six hundred years. Um, it's it's natural. It's not something we're responsible for, but it's something that we go through. Right. Or that we could stop, possibly even stop if we, we can't. We might not be able to stop it if it is happening. 
you know what I'm saying? So it, no matter how hard we try. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's well when you hear the the theory about what causes this and what the sun actually goes through, uh, some of that stuff gets a little scary. Gets a little scary, um, you know, because when we're talking about the, what ended the ice age, we're talking about a sun cycle where the sun. Um, and this is this is a uh, this is a theory brought forth. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the channel Suspicious Observers, uh, Ben over there, who talks about the different sun cycles. Um, and then he got his information from a guy named Doug uh, Vogt, I think is his name, uh, from the Diehold Foundation. And what they're saying, and this is their theory, is that the sun, um, every, um, well, they're saying, I think every 12,000 years, the sun goes through a nova event, not a supernova, but a nova event where there's basically a 360 degree uh, CME plasma burst from the sun that just obliterates everything in its path. Mm. Um, and when we're talking about the ice age, uh, or the end of the ice age, I should say, we're talking about an event where the Western half of the world was facing the sun when this occurred. So they got completely blasted by this. Um, and when you hear people like uh, uh, Randall Carlson talk about the megafauna extinction, when he talks about how there was uh, an immense amount of heat, an immense amount of cold, and asphyxiation that occurred in these animals when they died. And when you think about, um, when you think about a plasma burst that's that massive and we're talking about not just particles not just energy particles but actual physical particles that come out of the sun with it uh -huh. you know we're talking about not only an energy blast at the earth we're talking about you know physical particles hitting the earth so we're, you know it, it might as well be a meteor impact at that point right um maybe not as uh um cohesive as a meteor impact but but definitely significant um but I'd like to go back and start talking about the Ice Age and what the Earth looked like back then. Okay. Because um, I, I think it's important for us to understand that it was ex it was an extremely different place than what we're used to today. Right. Um, the sea level was 400 feet lower than it is today. Um, this exposed the continental shelves. Um, this is where everyone lived. Um, they did not live on the continental highlands. You know, there were not people running around uh, with spears, killing, <laughs> <laughs> killing mammoths. Mm. Um, nobody, nobody would have lived up there because a, it was too cold. B, it was too windy, and there were massive creatures up there that you didn't want to have to deal with. So, um, I, you know, and and perhaps there were some people. You know, just like we have today, people live in weird places. Uh, you know, we have people who uh, live a very primitive lifestyle today mm -hmm. in our modern age. Um, back then, you know, it would have been the same. There would have been people that would have lived up there, um, you know, be it maybe they just wanted to get away from civilization or what have you. But most of the population lived on these continental shelves all around the world. And if you look at a map and you look at these continental shelves, there was a lot of land that was exposed that could have been, uh, you know, potentially uh, inhabited by people. Um, another thing that, uh, is important to note, note about the ice age, um, is, and, and this is, this comes from the, uh, um, a theory 
by creationists. They came up with this theory to try to explain dinosaurs and all this other stuff. Right. And it was uh, the theory of the, the crystalline ice layer that surrounded the Earth's atmosphere. And they say this is what caused high, uh, a, a high uh, atmospheric pressure that caused things to grow large, basically. Okay. Um, and so I listened to this, and I thought it was an interesting theory, uh, but it, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because how would the ice get up there? How would the ice be suspended around the Earth? And they're talking about it being a couple of miles thick and, and uh, you know, how, how that kind of um, – uh, layer over the earth would cause the the moon to shone brighter and the stars to be brighter and all of that stuff mm-hmm. and when i was thinking about it i was like well what if what if the atmosphere just extended further out back then rather than a crystalline layer maybe we just had a thicker atmosphere that that extended you know maybe between earth and the moon you know maybe that far okay. um, that would explain a high atmospheric pressure um, and if you're in an ice age, which means the earth was cooler mm-hmm. and you have extended pressure and you're living at a sea level that's 400 feet lower than today, then you could probably expect the, uh, the exposed continental shelf to be, you know, a comfortable 70, 80 degrees. Um, it, it would have been perfectly comfortable for everybody to live in that. And, you know, they were probably fishermen. They probably sailed in boats. Um, like I said, nobody was living on the continental highlands just because it was uninhabitable. Right, right. Um, but like I said, this ha- this atmospheric pressure would have caused things to grow really big. You know, we had, I think Randall Carlson says that, uh, you know, on the North American continent, we had more diversity of animals than modern day Africa. We had like 11 different species of Macedon. We had, you know, giant sloths, cave bears, dire wolves. We had, you know, the whole shebang. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all of a sudden disappeared. And, you know, he goes over um, he, he goes over that in talking about how there was some massive heat, uh, massive freezing, and asphyxiation that occurred to, to kill these animals off. And I, I'll get into that in a minute and what I think happened. Um, as far as the the sun's nova um, is concerned, and and just that the sun's nova is something to think of too, which which I brought up. I just pulled up, and I'll show this. Um, technically, Mars rotates around the sun in a, in a spot that it could actually get closer at one point, if I believe so. And I'll I'll check that out and pull that up. It could have been at a point because I do remember them saying that there was evidence of technically nuclear explosions on Mars. Well, the sun's burst would have produced that type of energy, I believe. Um, but that's something I'd like to look into even after this. You know, that, so that might be an explanation of something like that. Yeah, I have heard that recently about Mars. Um, and I find that really interesting. I don't know what would have caused that. Um, you know, they claim that you know, nothing short of a, a nuclear bomb blast would have caused the type of radiation they're seeing. So that's, you know, it's interesting to think about what could have caused that. Hmm, it is. So, okay, you were at, so basically just went going over the pressure um, with the atmosphere and stuff. Right. And uh, another thing is, I believe, and this is my theory, that the Earth's tilt was about six degrees. And this is based on um, this line, this uh, this artificial line that occurs on the Earth, if you tie all of these megalithic monuments together, um, and I think in, in my video I explained that uh, 
you know, if you if you go from Easter Island, Machu Picchu to uh, Egypt to Angkor Wat and back to Easter Island, you get this line that's almost perfectly straight that goes all the way around the globe. Um, and uh, I, I can't remember the video I got that from. I think it's um, I think it was a channel Illuminati. I think back in the day had mm-hmm. a, a series of videos. Ancient knowledge, I think, is what it was. Um, and I, I'm not even sure where they got that video stock from or if they made that. Uh, but I found that interesting. And they were saying, well, you know, this line is because, you know, they uh, there was an ancient people that had mapped the whole earth and they put them all, you know, they put them all on the line on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, maybe it's even simpler than that. Maybe they put them all there because that was an equatorial line. It was the closest to the sun. It would have been, you know, it, it would have been easy to grow crops there. You know, even even the equator today, you know, most of the life that's on this earth lives on that equator because it's closest to the sun. You got right. all the plant life. You got, you know, the Amazon rainforest. You've got uh, uh, the Congo, um, you know, Central Africa, the rainforest there. Um, you know, it goes through uh, Papua New Guinea, mm-hmm. um, which is just nothing but rainforest. Um, so I, I think that kind of ecosystem would have lived on this line. Uh, back either during this time or shortly after. Um, I'm, I'm not clear yet on the timeline where the Earth shifted. I don't know if this occurred at the end of the Ice Age or after, uh, but I do know, um, or, or I believe that is what, uh, that, is what that line represents, is an, is an equator, an old equator that used to exist. So basically, uh, and just so everybody knows also, um, you, you believe that the Earth's tilt was approximately 6%, instead of the 23 and a half percent that it is today exactly exactly and if you you know know anything about uh, the seasons that tilt is what gives us our seasons correct um and if we were at a six degree tilt during an ice age it would have been essentially the same you know hardly noticeable year round uh of any changes hmm. um yeah. So that's another thing. It would have been it, it would have if you were living on the continental shelf at a higher pressure. Um, think of like, um, um, you know, uh, in our current times, we have uh, Death Valley. Death Valley sits below sea level mm-hmm. and it's one of the hottest places on Earth. Um, so if you've got an ice age and you've got people living down at a, you know, a really low sea level, um, 400 feet lower than today, then it would have been warmer just simply because of the atmospheric pressure. Right. Right, right. No, no. And, and this again, this is all um, it would be conjecture, right? Not theory. It'd be conjecture because we're just putting things out there for conversations. We want people to have these conversations, look this stuff up, do some research and, and dive into this. So, exactly. yeah, I am. Exactly. I am. And, and again, some it's, is it plausible? Well, I'm, I'm learning anything's plausible. Uh, you know, and so this is definitely an interesting conversation. No, I'm having a good time with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me, too. Um, And and like I said, I get a lot of this stuff from Graham Hancock, Randall Carlson. Um, There's a couple of other people um, that I'd like to throw out there, because like I said, this isn't, you know, me coming up with this. Um, This is me listening to a lot of other people and saying, hey, wait a minute. They're talking about this, but they're not talking. You know, they're very um, 
everybody's kind of got their pigeonhole. You know, Mm -hmm. Randall Carlson sitting on the geologic spectrum of things. So he's looking at that. Um, Graham Hancock's looking at the catastrophes and and, uh, he's looking at uh, comet impacts and meteor impacts and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And then you've got people looking at the sun. You've got people looking at the oceans. You've got people, you know, all of these people are kind of in their own rooms looking at their own stuff, but they're not looking at everything else as a whole. And that's right. what I'd like to do is look at everything as a whole and say, well, you know, if you take this theory over here, this theory over here, hey, this this kind of makes sense. This makes a lot more sense than what we've been told. Right. It's kind of put, just taking the pieces <clears throat> of the puzzle and putting it together and, and seeing what picture comes out from that puzzle, right? And exactly. So so then we're, okay, so we've got, instead of having uh, 23 and a half tilt, we're at six degree tilt, which would explain why obviously it would be warmer, uh, you know, on the equator. But it could be cooler in areas of um, where the ice age technically is because of that tilt, correct? Exactly, because if you take that line and you trace it up to a North Pole, and a physical North Pole, or let's say true north and true south, mm-hmm. um, on the north side of that, I mean, that sits right below Alaska. That's, that's right there where all of the ice sheets on the North American continent were during the ice age. And it also covers most of Siberia as well. So that right. matches up, you know, perfectly. Now in my studies, I, I've noticed that they don't talk about Southern ice sheets, like on the tip of South America and the tip of Africa, but I imagine there's got to be something there since, you know, that was pretty close to the South pole at that point. Um, as well as, mm-hmm. you know, today, you know, during the winter on the on the, uh, um, on the uh, northern hemisphere, you mm-hmm. know, there, there's nothing but ocean on the North Pole, but it does freeze over. Right. Um, so, it, you know, I imagine the south was probably the same way during the Ice Age. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at, at maps like the Perry Reese map and they, they, you know, talk about Antarctica being inhabited, um, that portion of the map. Uh, with with that equator that I've put in there, if you look at that, it actually could have been possible because it pushes Antarctica 2,500 miles north from where it is today. So it very well could have been a temperate environment right there where people could have landed and, and you know, set up shop. Um, so it's that's that's something interesting to look at as well. Interesting. Yeah, definitely interesting. Okay, so then from there, what what's the next what's the next dot we're dealing with then? Well, the next thing that we're going to deal with is um, so we talked about the ice age being in the age of Scorpio. Yeah, um, we're currently in the age of Pisces, uh, way on up here. Uh, but at the end of the age of Scorpio, and the age of Scorpio is considered the Vedic area. And I only say that because the Vedic area sits at the same timeline that the age of Scorpio does. Um, and right at the end of this is when uh, an event called the bowling Aileron occurred. And this was the, this was the thing that ended the ice age. Essentially there was um, a catastrophe that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a 98 foot sea level rise in what's called meltwater pulse one a. So there was a massive flood that occurred. A okay. lot of ice melted and that ice that melted caused a lot of uh, glaciers to break off of these ice sheets. They would float down into uh, lower latitudes, they would melt, and they would cool the oceans down. So what you would get is you would get a cataclysm, the heating, the, the, uh, the glaciers break off, they go to lower la- latitudes, they melt, they cool things down, and then all of a sudden you kind of cool down for a little bit. Um, and this was 
the cooling down period for this initial cataclysm they call the Younger Dryas. And this is when things came back down to um, back down to Ice Age levels. Mm-hmm. So the the um, the bowling Aileron event occurred around 14,000 BC and ended about 13,000 BC. Okay. So, so we're talking about a thousand years of something happening to heat everything up and, uh, you know, the glaciers melting and then it starts cooling back down. And then the younger Dryas event, you know, that goes from about, uh, 13,000 to about 12,000. So another thousand years. So this entire event that ended the ice age lasted about 2000 years. Okay. Um, and shortly after this Younger Dryas event is when we had uh, an immediate warming again. And this was, um, this entered into what they call the Golden Age or the Age of Leo. This is when all of the temperatures started rising. Mm-hmm. They're, they're about as high as they are today. So it's, it, we've, we basically normalized. And, um, You've got all of the dating of some of these ancient sites at this period of time. So we're talking 10,000 to uh, 10,000 BC to about 8,600 BC. Um, so, and in that, you've got things like uh, Gobekli Tepe, which is sitting at around, I want to say, um, what did they say, 10,000 BC? I think is what they said. I think they originally said 7,500 BC and then they moved it back. And what was that? Um, now, now Gobekli Tepe is the site in Turkey that they have recently dug up. Um, this is probably within the last 10, 15 years, I think. Okay. Um, it's, it's fairly recent, and um, it is basically a site with a lot of these uh, uh, monolithic uh, um, pillars, if you will, uh, with all of these animal pictographs on them. Um, and this site, for whatever reason, has been or was uh, purposefully buried. They don't know why. They have no clue. And this has been, uh, you know, talked about by a lot of different scientists. They're like, well, it could have been a natural fill-in. You know, something happened that it filled. And they're saying that, no, it's somebody filled it in on purpose. And then they don't really know why. Mm, um, okay. But Gobekli Tepe is, is one of the big... Uh, the the newest sites that they found that really throws a wrench in the idea uh, about our past that we've had so far. In other words, how can you build something like that if you are a hunter-gatherer civilization? You're busy hunter, hunting and gathering. You're not you know, going to have the time and uh, the, the energy to be able to put something like this together. Um, you have to have agriculture for that to happen. Um, you have to have a lot of agriculture for that to happen because you got to feed all these people to do it. You got to have them to have free time. So you have to have people uh, whose job it is just to do agriculture, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, you know, same thing goes for uh, um, the Sphinx. Um, the Sphinx was, um, I want to say back in the 90s, um, Robert Schock. Um, he's a geologist. Um, I do not have my notes for him here. That's okay. Um, so let me look look him up real quick. Robert Schock. All right. So Robert Schock, he is an American Associates Professor of Natural Science at the College of General Studies for Boston University. Um, this guy went out 
to Egypt at the behest of, oh, terrible names here. It's all right. It's okay. Searching. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> and I know I mentioned him in the video, and I still forgot his name. Oh, uh, I'll find his name in a minute. Let's yeah, see. No oh, here we go. Here we go. Okay, so it was it was Robert Shock, who, at the behest of John Anthony West, went out to Egypt to look at the Sphinx enclosure. Um, and there's a lot of interviews of Robert Shock talking about you know what happened back then and what was going on, and you know he was an academic. He you know, believe the Egyptologists on all of the dating. He said, you know, how can they be wrong? Of course, of course they know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and he goes out there and he studies the wall and he's like, he, he's dumbfounded. He said, I believe he said the first five minutes of him walking up to this wall, he was dumbfounded at how somebody could have missed this evidence. He was like, this is clear water erosion. And he said, there, there's nothing else that could have caused this but massive precipitation. And he said, and the only time that that could have happened would have been about 10,500 years ago. And he said, they're wrong. The Sphinx is, is ten, at least 10,500 years old. Um, and, oh. uh, you, you know, he, he was, uh, he, he was uh, given a lot of, uh, um, there was a lot of controversy surrounding him taking that stance, um, especially because he's an academic. Right, uh, but he, but he today to this day stands firm on that. That he said nothing else could have caused that erosion but massive precipitation. Um, so that's what pushed the date of the Sphinx way back to ten thousand five hundred BC. And that's just a, he he says it himself. That's a the conservative number. He said it could very well be older than that. Right. Um, so and that falls that that date falls right in the age of Leo or the the golden age as they call it mm -hmm. during this warming period this initial warming period that was the end of the ice age. Um, let's see if I have any more notes on this. Um, so this, let's see, Meltwater Pulse One A. All right, so this is where in in my theory. Mm -hmm. I believe uh, when we get to the bowling ailer rod and the younger driest periods, this is where I believe people started to go underground for uh, you know protection of of all of humanity. About so that would um, be approximately what year? So we're talking in the bowling bowling ailer rod. We're talking fourteen thousand BC. Okay, that's how old we're talking. So, so this was the initial cataclysm that caused the bowling ailer rod, that caused the meltwater pulse one A, that caused a ninety-eight foot sea level rise, which you know that would be a problem, especially that, that, if you're living on the continental shelves. Definitely um, be a problem. So these people were escaping to the highlands, they were escaping to the mountains, and they were escaping underground to try to you know get away from this. Um, and you know I've I've tried to you know, think in my mind of how long they could have lasted underground if they had the technology back then to be mm -hmm. able to do that. Um, you know, even today, if we had to go underground, how long would we last? I mean, we got to have vitamin D, we have to have oxygen, ventilation, all of these things well, to be able to live underground. Before we go, before we head there, right? So during okay. the, the, the 17,000 to 15,000 area, right? So we're not heading underground yet. Like what technology would have they have needed and had back then um, in that first era in the age of Scorpion, do you believe? Okay, sure. Um, like I said, this would have been the Vedic era. Mm -hmm. And if you look into um, 
the uh, the Vedas, you'll see that uh, they had these Vimana. They had flying machines. They were basically, if you think about it, like a uh, a, a flying um, skyscraper, essentially is what these things look like. Um, and there's uh, depictions of them. They kind of show, they kind of talk about how they work. Um, some of the scriptures talk about um, um, swirling mercury engines, I think is what they were called. Uh-huh. Um, so, it seems to me that they had, if they could do that, uh-huh. um, it seems to me like they would have had a lot of different technology to be able to, A, construct that, um, you know, know about the engine and how it works. Um, you know, there, there's just a lot of things that lead you to believe that the technology that they had, while different from ours, was certainly on the level that we are technologically. In other words, like today we use uh, digital computers. Perhaps back then they were using analog computers. You know, today we use jet engines and internal combustion engines. Perhaps back then they were using something different. Um, something perhaps the opposite is, is kind of what I'm getting at. Um, you know, today we're, we're using, uh, what they call explosive technology. And a lot of the mystics will talk about them using implosive technologies, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, so I, I, I wonder if the technology that they had back then was stuff like uh, that Nikola Tesla was coming out with back in the early 1900s. Right. Um, you know, high voltage, high energy stuff. Um, you know, something like that. And, and, and the reason I wanted to bring this to, you, to, to your attention before you start, we start going underground is a lot of the stuff we, you described there, um, it looks like, and I'll, I'll put a picture up here, but if somebody were to think like an ice cream cone flipped upside down, right? Yeah. And then it would spin. Well, that is also how we drill holes in the ground, right? I mean, the big machinery that would actually be drilling holes would look like an ice cream cone head. And of course, if it, you know, we use diamond and stuff now. But at, at one point, that, those would be able to drill into the ground. Correct. Yeah, and that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting take on that because they would have had to um, had some kind of technology to be able to do this because I just cannot see a bunch of people at uh, at a, a rock face next to a mountain and start chiseling in to make a <laughs> right. home. Right. I just can't see that. But if you were to take this, and again, this is this is us throwing possibilities out there, right? If you were to take something that looks like an ice cream cone that spins up and goes up, it would be easy if that was possible then, let's say, all right, let's go with it. It would be easy for someone to say, you know, if we tip that to the side, we can get in that rock. You know what I mean? Exactly. We can can do it through that rock. So that's kind of why I wanted you to, you know, talk a little bit about the technology that they was presumed they had back then also. Well, here's another thing that kind of ties in with that is there's there's an obscure myth that's in Mongolia. Mm-hmm. They talk about a long time ago there used to be an inland sea on the Tibetan plateau. And they said in the middle of this sea was an island. And they said that this island was inhabited by uh, miners. And they said that these miners um, had mined tunnels a thousand miles in every direction. Which, which is insane. That's, that's a ridiculous amount of digging. Um, and they said that one day a cataclysm occurred and these people disappeared. Hmm. And 
of course, you know, where did they go? They went into their tunnels that they dug. Um, and again, you know, I can't see people out there with pickaxes digging a thousand miles in every direction. So, you know, that, that kind of leads you to wonder, you know, what kind of technology they had to dig those tunnels. Right. And so that's, you know, that was another aspect. Um, so in regard, before we, we, we leave the age of Scorpio, is there anything else you kind of want to talk about, um, in, in that age? Well, there's a lot of myths, just like the ones that I said um, from Mongolia. There's myths in South America of mm-hmm. all of these massive tunnel systems that stretch across the continent. Um, and, and even today, people are still finding uh, caves and passages that lead into some of these tunnels. And then, of course, you never hear about them ever again. Um, and there's a lot of tunnels that have been um, – there was actually a guy um, – just to interject here, there's a uh, yeah. there, there's a YouTube channel, Mr. Mythos, Mr. and he covers a lot of uh, underground civilizations, and he covers a lot of mythology and legend um, of people, say back in the 1800s, who went to the Tibetan plateau, say, and you know roamed around trying to find these underground cities, um, and they found all kinds of weird stuff. And then, you know, you get the stories of like the uh, the Nazis in the Ananerbe who were looking for the uh, the underground city of Shambhala, which housed the Aryans, right, mm-hmm. um, in these underground cities. Um, so the, these myths go way, way, way back. And even when you're talking about the Native American legends, um, you know, you, you talk about the Hopi and they say that uh, um, a, a crack emerged in the West and they emerged out of the Grand Canyon. You know, that's their emergence story as they came out of the earth, essentially. And if you look at all the other myths around the world, they echo the same thing. They're like, we came out of this mountain. We came out of this this hole in the ground. We came out of this. And, and you know, the more I read, the more I start to realize that this is kind of, you know, the, the, the start of our modern age is when we all kind of emerged. Hmm. So, and, and we emerged from somewhere. And we were all hiding somewhere, so we had to be hiding underground in these tunnels. Mm-hmm. That's that's actually extremely interesting. I, I did not know that. And yeah, there's there's a lot of that. Um, even even the aboriginals, they talk about you know we emerged out of the earth and we were ignorant. You know, our our gods did not teach us how to live. So uh, um, the story goes that they would go to sleep and the gods would send them messages in their dreams on how to you know live life and and whatnot. Um, you know, because that goes back to my theory of there was no language, so they didn't have any language with which to speak. So dreams were kind of it, you know. Right. Because they basically they spoke through uh, telepathy. Yes. Yes. Right. That's uh, telepathy. Which yep. it, again, uh, like I said, this is uh, it, possibility because you know as we go deeper and deeper into this, so this is definitely going to be an ongoing series. Plus, Ben's going to come on a lot, a lot more. Um, I, I am under the uh, more and more of an impression that everything we can learn, we already know. We just haven't been able to access it yet, if that makes sense. Um, and that's yes, something yeah. I'm, I'm going to definitely explain, um, you know, in, in future shows and things like that. But I think we're, what I'm going to do is I want to end this one here because we've got, this is going to be a part series. Um, and we still have one, two, three, four, five, like six other parts to go. And this right here is a lot to soak up. Um, oh, yeah. So I think I'm going to end this one here. But ending on a, on, a, on a little bit of a cliffhanger, 
You say we're in the last, uh, the wave we're in right now is which one? Uh, we're in the fifth sun cycle, according to the Aztecs. And a fifth sun cycle started when? Uh, let's see. This started, let me pull up this here. This started around the end of the age, or the end of the age of Scorpio. So the end of the ice age. And then, so when it, with your calculations, when would this one end? Um, well, it, it's kind of hard to tell because we're talking about such a long timeline mm -hmm. that it, it kind of ends uh, where Pisces starts, which we're talking, you know, year zero here with the age of Pisces. So I would wager to guess between the end of this age or possibly during the next age, which which would be the age of Aquarius, and that would start in uh, uh, 2160. 2160 would be the next one we're going at. Gotcha. All right. Um, that being said, we're going to go from that timeline all the way back to where we just already spoke with. So, Ben, I want to thank you so much for coming on, um, and I'm excited. I, I think this went really well, and I enjoy doing it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Again, I appreciate it. This is, uh, this has been fun. So, yeah. Is there anything you want to say, um, as we sign off? Um, I guess I would say, uh, don't be a skeptic just to be a skeptic. Uh, don't believe something just because you want to believe something. Um, definitely keep an open mind, but don't keep it too open and definitely do your own research. Um, you know, I, I'll, uh, definitely throw out these different channels and different resources for people to look at, um, so that you can find it for yourself, read it for yourself, believe it for yourself. You know, don't let somebody else tell you what you should believe. Outstanding. Thank you so much for coming on again. Hey, and this has been Sage and we're going to end it here. Sage out. Um.